podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes. Joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, hi. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, um, obviously off the back of that uh, good win against Napoli. And looking forward to the start of the Premier League season this Saturday. Um, so yeah, lots to be positive about. Liverpool doing well. Um, doesn't, look we'll get, doesn't look like we'll get any more players in, but happy with the squad, squad as it is. And we're going to have a good discussion today. I would say that looking forward to is probably the biggest understatement of my life. I <laughs> I need Sunday now. I need it to be Sunday now. I need the season to start. Um, so we've got two fantastic guests joining us this week. First of all, we've got Josh Williams. Josh, how are you? Hey, I'm good, mate, yeah. It's been a while since I was last on, so looking forward to getting into it. I was going to say, yeah, it's been a while since we've had you on, um, but someone who hasn't been quite so long since we've had them on is Joe Norton. Joe, how are you? Yeah, really good, thanks, Tom. I, like everyone else, just can't wait. Can't wait for the season to begin. No, I think we're all in the same boat there. And we're going to start off by looking ahead to the new season and looking at Liverpool's midfield and looking at their forward passing because Josh has written a really, really interesting, really detailed article that I think we should get into. So, Josh, if you want to kick us off with your introduction of your article and then we'll get into it. Okay, well, um, I was looking at pre- pre-season as I do every year. Um, I know some people aren't really as, as focused on pre-season. Some people don't really think, don't really think it matters. Don't think you can take anything from it. But I disagree, especially considering I'm one of the, one of the types of people that likes to look at any kind of, you know, tactical things, maybe new starters, um, new positions, new stars of play, things like that. So they're the types of things I look out for. And obviously after having, after having Fabinho and, Naby Keita since the very start of pre-season. I've been really focused on, on the pair of them just to see what, what kind of things he can add from a tactical perspective. And, um, inside the first couple of games, one of the things that stood out to me was, it sounds very simple, but the, how comfortable they are and how naturally they just pass forwards. And that's, as I said, that sounds really simple. I, I can pass forwards. You can clock and pass forwards. Jordan Henderson can pass forwards, but the difference is when a player does it naturally without even thinking, and as a result, maybe saves that split second. And you know, it, the ball receives, it, the ball progresses in a more comfortable manner. The player is able to um, console the ball and play it forwards comfortably. And if you look at our style of play, you know, it's it's all about getting the ball from A to B as quickly as possible, in a way. Um, it's about that direct nature, making use of those quick moments in which the opponents may be a bit unstable defensively. And obviously, if you've got players in, in the midfield who are likely to be feeding the forward players, if you've got players in that area who are maybe less inclined or less confident to actually play forwards, then you know the whole idea, the whole concept of the style of play isn't going to always be implemented. Whereas if you've got someone like Fabinho and someone like Keita making use of those moments, you know, the general style of play, the overall, this is how we score, is going to be executed more often than before. 
and uh, I went in the, I wrote a piece just on that kind of thing. Um, some people will probably take it as very basic because, it, as I said, it's just about passing forward. But if you look at it in comparison to what we're trying to do all game, clutch overall, like, you know, pressing to play and make a kind of thing, making use of quick moments in transition, you need players that pass the ball forward. So I've, I've just written a piece on that. And, um, yeah, it's been received quite well as well. Okay, so Joe, I'll let you respond to this first before we get into it. So what were your thoughts on the article overall? And um, how confident are you looking into the new season that we've improved the vertical passing or the sort of direct forward passing in our midfield? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a really good article by Josh and I agreed with, agreed with a lot of what he said. I think we all, we all knew at the end of last season that to get to the next level, which is competing for Man City for the league title and hopefully winning Champions League, and we needed to upgrade on Henderson. He he has a lot of strengths. Um, I think he doesn't get as much credit as he deserves for the uh, the urgency he tries to bring bring to the attack. Um, I think the difference between Henderson and Fabinho for me is what Josh said is under pressure. Fabinho will always want to try and get on the ball and play forwards. Um, whereas Henderson Henderson, when he when he comes under pressure, he kind of goes back into his shell, doesn't want to get onto the ball, and then starts playing sort of sideways and backwards passes. We saw that away at Seville and away at Roma under those high pressure situations. He kind of just hid a little bit. Um, what you can't say about Henderson is that he doesn't look to play forward. He, he for me, he looks to play forward, but he look, looks to play forward more sort of in areas. So he looks for channels and sort of loves that sort of early cross. Whereas Fabinho will look to play forward and play through the lines and play into feet. I think with the likes of Cater, uh, Bobby, Salah, and for me, and uh, Marnie, that kind of benefits them a lot more, a lot more than um, playing playing in front of Henderson. But just just to, to illustrate how underrated perhaps Henderson Henderson is and what he does in attacking sense. Last season, uh, he had an xG build up of 0.44 compared to Fabinho's 0.42, and an xG chain of 0.52 compared to. Um, Point four nine, which kind of illustrates that although I think Bino will do a better role in the number six, number six position for Klopp, we can't underestimate how, um, creative Henderson was in that, in that deep line position. But I think in the real pressure situations, um, having, having that little bit more quality in the number six position will really benefit the team, team this season and we're definitely going to see it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. I agree with the points made in the article about Henderson, Genie and Emre, um, especially Emre, who isn't really a player known for slick transitional play, but as I'm sh- sure Tom will, will state, that wasn't really his role. Um, but as Joe said, Henderson, he does play forward. I think that's a misconception a lot of people have, that he doesn't play forward, that he's always looking for that sideways pass. But we've seen long raking balls from deep by him for club and for country that sets us on the attack. I think when you're looking at transitional play, though, it's really that drive from midfield through your chain lanes, through your navigators that offers um, that's something special. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's sort of the point in the article. I may be wrong, um, but, you know, I think Klopp, as pointed out, Klopp has made such a big deal about transitional play and how important it is to him. Um, and we can see that with the signings he's made, Fabinho to start off with. A lot of people have made comments about how they haven't really noticed him, about how he's just letting the summer passing by. He's not really settled yet. But I actually think that's that's maybe showing sort of the other 
um, the other side of things. He's making the job look so easy, a job that isn't easy at all um, in terms of that transitional play. And he's doing it so well um, right from the off that people think he's not really performing. Uh, then you've got Naby Keita. He's done it, you know, his previous clubs, perfect with transitional play, gets forward, drives forward at the off position, does really well with that and links up with his teammates. And then you've got even Allison, transitional play, sets you on the counter-attack. Um, so, it's, it, yeah, it, it's just a really, really good force we've got at the moment, both in midfield, but as a squad as a whole. Um, and obviously it's something Klopp has worked on with his signings this summer. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that is clear that throughout the team it was needed to sort of more direct style is so important to the way we play our football and it's something that we've seen throughout last season and another player who would have been really important for that but obviously he's now injured is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and it's a real shame that he's not able to inject some dynamism and some energy into that midfield and but also some positivity because I think he's the sort of player who would make those sorts of passes that we're talking about um I'm not gonna bite <laughs> I'm not gonna bite on the Emre comment because I thought he was probably the best in our midfield and that sort of direct uh front passing out of all of them, um, I don't think I've seen Wijnaldum play a forward pass in his life. Um, Hendo obviously does, but in a certain way that makes it seem like uh, he's not. I think the key is, for me, the difference between sort of forward passing and vertical passing, because forward passing obviously ends up being quite split, so you, end up, you can end up sending the ball from one side of the pitch to the other, maybe through balls, but it's not necessarily, it tends to go around the teams rather than through them. Whereas Keita is the best example of this in that he ha- he was the best vertical passer in Europe over the last, uh, I think it was last season, might have been the season before. But the point is, that if you want a direct pass that goes directly through the midfield, from the midfield to the attack, straight through the pitch, to cut through the heart of teams, that's what Keita is good at. That's what Keita is going to bring to the table. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to deny that we've brought in at least one player, if not two, that are going to add something to that midfield in terms of direct passing. Not necessarily the same thing as a forward pass, but direct passing. Um, and that's where I think Cater could be really important. The, the issue Liverpool need to have is that transition can be very rushed. If you're trying to do a quick transition, you're trying to play a very direct pass, that can mean that you end up with a central midfielder who is giving the ball away four times out of five because he's trying too hard. Uh, and that's something that I don't necessarily want to see us do. I don't, don't think that's going to happen with Cater because obviously he's good enough to execute the passes enough times that that won't be an issue, but I don't, I think we just need to be careful about the way we implement this in the squad because I think it's something that we need to make sure that we're doing in the right way because it's very easy to sort of just smash it up the salary and hope if things start to go wrong. Um, that said, I thought over the last 12 months we've got the balance right with a squad that doesn't have that many talented passes in it, at least in the back seven or eight. So to see us introduce two players who can really add to that and then push in, for me that's going to be really, really exciting to watch. Um, so, Josh, how important do you think this is going to be to our team? Because, as we've sort of alluded to throughout, Liverpool scored a lot of goals last season and were very, very good last season. So, how how big an impact do you think this could have on our midfield going forward? Well, I just I just think if if further like imposes the system that's and the belief of the manager, it's kind of as simple as that, really. So, although we were good last season, you know we always will be good on the clock. But it's more to, in fact, I think I, I think I actually closed the piece out by saying it's a bit like a bit of a romantic sentence, like, but I say, I say, um, you know, it's a, early days, but Liverpool's two new midfielders already appear to be demonstrating, demonstrating an upgrade on the ball that will add a new element to the progressive attack that we saw last season. 
and then this is the key bit, as well as further enforcing Klopp's tactical utopia that I think we are still yet to fully experience. Now, a utopia is, you know, a, a perfect place, let's say. So, the perfect Klopp team, the perfect Klopp attack, I still think we're yet to see. And we're yet to see it, because the team still consists of players that aren't necessarily Klopp players. Since he came in, he's like, he's moulded them towards that, that profile. But, but they're not, they're just not Klopp players. It's kind of as simple as that. They're close, but they're just not. Um, Naby Keita is, Naby Keita to a T is a Klopp player. And, you know, ha- having players in the team that aren't necessarily suited to the overall style of play, the overall game, will just naturally not allow the um, the game to be perfect, if you understand. So it's it's a bit like Pep Guardiola maybe having a player in his eleven who isn't comfortable on the ball passing and is is more inclined to to just go direct. So it, this is a bit of an extreme example, but say for example that Pep Guardiola had Wes Morgan as centre back, it maybe be a bit like that. It's 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 not really going to have a detrimental effect overall to the results and things like that and the performance will still be good here and there but in terms of being the actual you know the perfect of what Pep would want it wouldn't allow that to happen and Klopp I think gradually has edged towards his perfect 11 in terms of profiles and Keita certainly adds to that and Fabinho adds to that more than our current crop of midfielders Um. And hopefully, with more transfer windows, I think we'll gradually get to a point where we are a full clock 11 and we have a full clock squad. And, you know, I, I, I can't wait for those days. And I think this season, we'll see more of it than last season. We'll see here. And we'll, we'll just gradually get to that point where we're almost perfect. Joe, is that something you've seen maybe throughout pre-season to an extent? Obviously, we've not seen loads of Kate and Fabinho together and obviously they're still raw, but have you seen sort of a more, or, more, almost more, more of a Kloppian system where Liverpool are getting closer and closer to what Klopp wants and sort of as Josh alludes to getting further away from this idea of shoehorning players into a Klopp system who aren't necessarily Klopp players Yeah yeah, definitely I think we've seen glimpses of that in pre-season certainly I think Josh is bang on about Naby Keita he's, he's a perfect midfielder in, in, a lot of, in a lot of systems but particularly Klopp when you're sort of trying to play that high energy pressing game he's used to that he's good in transitions He's really, he's really efficient and breaking lines, both for his passing and with his dribbling, which I think ultimately has led to him sort of having the most, most vertical passes, like you mentioned, in Europe, uh, because teams aren't sure, is he going to pass it? Is he going to dribble? He's equally as effective at both. So it kind of puts a bit of doubt, doubt in your mind as a defensive unit as to what he's going to do. And then once you're deaf and guessing yourself, you're always going to cause, cause problems. But I think, I think for me, the biggest impact the two are going to have um, are in those high pressure situations, whether that, that's just conceding a goal in a difficult, in a difficult place. And we've had five minutes of the, of the defense being under sustained pressure. Then just having the, the players with, with Fabinho and Kate who will want to constantly get on the ball, won't hide and will try and keep things ticking over and maybe just slow the game down. Something we've, we've not, we've not really been able to do as effectively as Klopp probably would have liked and as his supporters would have liked over the last couple of seasons. So just having those those more bit more quality technical players who have the capability of slowing a game down 
whilst still still keeping the ball would definitely benefit us and then flip it on flip it on the other hand if we're sort of going into the last 10 minutes of games just having the players who don't panic in those situations know knowing if they keep doing the right things which generally their instinct is to do um with with occasion for be you know keep playing the the way Cop wants them to they won't they won't panic and eventually you've got more of a chance of breaking the team down whereas we saw at times last season the season before last that the team the midfield kind of just panicked a little bit resorted to sort of long range shots or long diagonals which didn't really suit our style of play whereas having the um players who are full belief and um the ability to uh, execute exactly what Klopp wants will for me only benefit us next season and particularly in those high high press situations where I think I think it really it really starts to tell. Yeah. I, I don't I don't necessarily disagree. I certainly think they, they both provide a lot of attributes that are really beneficial to a Klopp's system. What I also think is fair is that they're better players in many respects. I'm not I'm, I mean I'm not to saying that that's they're not better players because they're not Klopp players, but they are you know, you introduce a player like Naby Keita to this midfield and he can do everything, if that makes sense. So he, he offers more on the ball and more off the ball. So to an extent, you could argue, yeah, he's more of a clock player because he can dribble, because he's got vertical passing, because he can pass really well, because he can shoot, because he can tackle. You know, he can do something. You could argue that Keita could almost fit into any system because of how good he is. And maybe similarly for Binho, he's got the defensive scrutiny to match up to you. United team, you know, everyone was talking about Fabinho going to United and never thought that would be a good fit because he's such a good defensive midfielder, but he's obviously a good passer of the ball as well. So for me, in many respects, it's easy for us to sort of look at it and go, this is going to help Klopp's system. I'm not sure that it necessarily helps Klopp's system because they're Klopp players, although they definitely are. But so much as, hang on a minute, we've gone out and bought one of the best defensive midfielders in the world and one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world. So in many respects, for me, it's not necessarily because... The key, the key fact of any Klopp system is pressing. And the bottom line is we don't know how yet if these two are going to be able to match the intensity that someone like Henderson or someone like Emery Chan provided. Because I think a lot of people almost forget that Chan and Henderson were, were two of our top pressers last season. Other than everyone, you know, everyone talks about Firmino as being the, the heart of the press because he presses the most. And everyone talks about Oxley Chamberlain because Ox is a, is a boss. But behind them, Henderson and Chan in particular, those two were routinely dropping exceptional pressing performances. So the question remains for me, are we going to, we still have a lot of pressing to make up for in that midfield. So the question is, not just can they do the work on the ball and are they good enough defensively, but can they do the pressing style that Klopp requires? And that's not to say that they can't, there's been no evidence that they can't. And from what I understand, Gags is really, really positive from what he's seen in preseason, but they haven't been tested consistently at the top level whether or not they can press in those big games and that for me is is maybe the question that would say are they Klopp players we won't know until we see them in a proper pressing system I think it's interesting because for me personally Klopp has targeted Klopp players uh, um, in the transitional sense at least in that as as we mentioned earlier Cater has got that part to his game it comes naturally to him because he's used that system in his previous clubs at Leipzig and at Salzburg so we've seen that part of his game for for some time now and the same with Fabinho um, but then also I, I do get the point that they're maybe not quite clock players in the sense that he's also targeting people who he's looking at their style of game and he's thinking this can suit my system it needs a bit of molding it needs a bit of um, you know flexibility to it um 
but he's targeting players who he looks at and he thinks, well, you're a clock player in this sense, but I can also mould you and you can be flexible and that you can do this job as well. So I think it's really interesting because they're both, they're two players who are very, very different, but both players will be hugely important for Liverpool this season. Um, as we've mentioned, Cater is so good at running through opposition defences, bursting through from that midfield with energy and drive which is so key when you're talking about transitional play and really moving the ball quickly through the stages of defence, midfield and attack. And then you've got someone like Fabinho, who he won't take a lot of touches. Um, I think you mentioned in the article, actually, that Emery Chan is a player who sometimes was taking one too many touches, or Henderson may be guilty of it as well, and Genie. Whereas Fabinho, he comes in, we've seen him pre-season, um, he's only taking one or two touches, then he'll offload the ball, he'll go again, he'll set it off, for his teammates he won't do anything too flashy but he just keeps us ticking over and I think that's really really important so in that sense they are two clock players already he wouldn't have picked them if he didn't think they would suit the system and they have that you know that element of the game that suits his style uh, but I do agree you know in, in terms of pressing we'll have to see about that but but they're both players who Klopp has obviously identified as, as being part of this system. Josh did you want to respond to that? I totally agree I think in terms of whether the suit is or not, I think first and foremost to be a clock player, you have to be complete. And when I say complete, I think you need to be able to contribute to all phases basically, because a clock team attacks together, they transition together, and they defend together. So if you're complete in that aspect, as in you know you can defend, you can get back, you've got fast enough to do so, you can score goals, you can contribute to goals. Um, You've got energy, you've got the fitness to do so, you're strong enough to do so, then, you know, you're on your way to being a club player already. I think Fabinho and Abby Keita are both that. I think with um, Fabinho, we could potentially do more going forward in terms of goal contributions, but that's obviously not his role. But I, d- I do definitely think the, the club players, especially Keita, as I've said. And Joe, is there anything you wanted to add to this discussion before we move on? No, I think, I think the point about, about the pressing is a good one. I think Klopp mentioned, um, on Saturday night, that one of the reasons for being here didn't start was because of his offensive press, and he was still taking a bit of time, time to get used to that. I think he's alluded to that a few times. Um, Cater coming from coming from Leipzig, a bit is more of a similar. They wouldn't try to win the ball back in a similar fashion, whereas Monaco were were quite quite different in that respect. So he always expected um, it take a bit more time for for Bino to settle in, and whether we see him. Whether we see him on the Sunday will be interesting. I don't think I don't think there should be any concern if we don't see him. It's just simply simply a case of him taking a bit bit of time to to get used to Klopp's system and the specifics of what what he expects uh, what he expects of a player in that in that position. And I can imagine changing changing teams and going to almost a completely different style of player winning the ball back is, is very difficult, particularly for a hole in the midfielder who's perhaps used to doing a bit more sitting and not thinking about winning the ball back in, the, in an attacking sense, whereas that's what Klopp expects. Um, so I think it will t- it will take a bit more time for Fabinho to uh, to settle into the side, uh, particularly in terms of, in terms of pressing. But I think he's shown shown already that he's got the got the quality and the temperament to do it. So I think it'll only be a matter of time before before we start seeing him settle into Klopp system and getting the best out of him. Okay, so I feel like we've covered that topic um, pretty well, so we'll move on now. But before we go on to do the next topic, we'll just have a little break and a little word from our sponsors. Hi, Anne. How are you? Um, is everything okay? 
Yeah, absolutely, Gags. Everything is fine. But you know what? I'm hearing you've got a special offer for Anfield Index Pro. Is that so? Yes, absolutely. And we've got your weekly show, Moby on the Spot, the popular stat show, Under Pressure. Post-match Raw is now back and loads of other shows available at our lowest price ever. Go on then, Gags. How cheap is that? Get this, mate. Get this. It's absolutely free for seven days and then only $39.99 for a whole year. New users can now sign up and access everything at AmphilIndexPro.com. I have to say, Gax, that is incredible news. i got to go. Where are you going? Well, to be fair, I need to go and tell Rushy about this offer. <laughs> Thanks. Whilst you're there, please let Rushy know that we accept all major credits and debit cards via the website. And not only that, we've now added PayPal too. And if you want an app option, then via iOS, you can purchase AI Pro through an in-app purchase. Jan? Jan? Yeah, so to move us on next, we've got a really, really interesting article from uh, Joe which looks at how a number 10 could possibly get the best out of Solanke and Origi. Uh, for me, personally, I think this is a really interesting concept because a lot of people have talked about the two players and not taking their summer opportunities in pre-season, and therefore maybe one of them's going to go out alone or permanently. And in a sticky situation in terms of Daniel Sturridge's form of late. So, Joe, why don't you talk us through the article and your thinking behind it? Yeah, so really what inspired me was there's been been a lot of talk this transfer window about various positions, but one one position we've not really been linked with any credibility of signing anyone in is sort of the alternative to to Firmino. A lot I know a lot of people have been clamouring uh, for us to sign a striker, someone who provides either something different to Firmino, something a lot closer in terms of quality, and compared with Origi and Solanke, pretty apparent now that we're not we're definitely not going to sign an alternative. Whether we get a uh, sort of wide attacking option or a number ten, it's there's perhaps a slim possibility of that, but definitely in terms of, of a strike, I don't think I don't think we're we're going to see it. And uh, I feel like Regan and Solanke have been harshly criticised at times. I don't think people quite appreciate how difficult it is to play up front on your own in Klopp's system. Uh, you're basically asked to to be able to do everything, come short and link the play, be able to stretch teams and running running behind, uh, and then be be a bit of a focal point you know, for for the team while still scoring. Scoring a, at a respectable rate for a striker, and Firmino is now now kind of evolved into that complete striker for me in in most systems, and particularly particularly for Klopp. Um, so as I've always believed, it was going to be difficult for us to sign a player who could be a, a real good backup to Firmino. So I think in Origi and Solanke, we've got players who have certain attributes who can which can benefit the team and provide ample support. For Firmino, when it when he needs resting, with it being such a long season, particularly if we do well um, in in the Champions League and in the domestic cups. And for me, Origi's always been a player who struggled when he played up front on his own uh, because he's not brilliant at playing with his back to goal and linking the play. But what what you can't can't say say about Devot is that he doesn't score score goals. Um, in 16, 17, he he got seven goals and three assists in fourteen starts. Um, and in, and in um, 15, 16, he scored five goals and one assist in, in seven starts. So when when he has been called upon, he has scored. And although his all-round game might not be brilliant, when we've seen him partnered with Sturridge particularly, whether that's a diamond or, or sort of more of a conventional two up front, we've, we've sort of seen seen the best of best of Divock. I think we all 
think of that away performance uh, at Southampton in the League Cup or, or West Ham uh, at the end of the season before last when, when Divock played really well and the team, team scored a lot of goals. Um, and that's simply because when Divock is playing with a second striker, um, he can focus on the strengths, which are stretching, stretching the opposition and then getting the box. Uh, and in goal scoring positions and be, being a goal threat and when he gets in the positions he generally scores goals. So Lanky's a little bit different although he has, although again he's struggled to play up front on his own quite often gets isolated. When we've seen him play, played alongside Firmino away at Stoke and then uh, at the uh, final final game of the season against Brighton we've sort of seen a, seen a lot, lot, a lot better from him. Um, he's quite comfortable at uh, combinations and linking up with players when he's got when he's got attacking players close by to him, which having a second striker allows him to do. And although we might not see see a number an out and out number ten come in, I think we've got the players in storage who, again for me, can't play up front on his own in clock system because of his physical limitations. Um, but playing him as a number ten, he's definitely got the technical ability technical ability to do that. We've seen him drop a little bit deeper and occupy that position a bit more in pre season. So I think we can expect to perhaps see that a little bit more. And then you've got the option of Shakiri. Again, we've seen it in pre-season. He's got the attributes to play, play in the number 10 position. Um, and if we were to bring a wide forward, uh, Marnley quite often drifted into that, that 10 position uh, last season after uh, we sold Coutinho. And then Salah, we've seen him, we've seen him play more as kind of a second striker at, ta- at times last season. So I definitely think if we're not going to sign any, um, striker, which it doesn't look like it, we are going to back up the Firmino. Then we have got the, uh, Quality um, in Origi and Solanke to uh, provide cover for him. Just cops got to be a little bit creative and tweak the system in order to get the best out of them, which will then benefit the team in the long run. I think it's it's interesting because you obviously start the article looking at Daniel Sturridge, how he's maybe adapted his role in the side, and and as you said there, it, maybe it's a case of him becoming more of a number ten than an out and out striker because of his injury record. Or because of his lack of pace now to, to get in behind opposition defences. First of all, we'll talk about Dominic Solanke, just whether that number 10 is Daniel Sturridge, whether it's Shakiri, whether he plays alongside someone right up top remains to be seen. Um, but Josh, what do you make of Dominic Solanke in terms of, as said in the article, he's been a bit inconsistent. He's shown glimpses, obviously only got the one goal last season. But in terms of his all-round play, he was good. He did have that pressing about him, sort of the Firmino traits that you know more defensively minded ones um which were positive they did show good signs but when you're a striker you have to be putting the ball in the back of the net and therefore there's been a lot of talk about okay he's young okay he came in with a, a very bright future and re even talked him up but he's not lived up to that so far and with Daniel Sturridge's form as it is is he really going to get the opportunities even if uh, uh Sturridge or Shakiri plays number 10 to showcase that I personally really like Solanke, and you've got to bear in mind when you're saying things like um, maybe he hasn't lived up to and things like that. You've got to bear in mind he's 20. Solanke is 20. Firmino's 26. I think in six years' time, Solanke could absolutely be as good as Firmino. Six years is a lot of time. Is a lot of time, especially if Klopp's still here in six years' time. Um, I, I have no problems with Solanke. I think he's progressing. Gradually, I think it's maybe a confidence thing with Solanke. But he's got everything there that you need. He's, he's six foot one, so he's built. He's English. He's not slow. 
he's got the work ethic, the pressing ethic. Uh, he can hold up the ball. He can link play. He's good in the air. He's a decent striker of the ball, from what I can remember. The only problem with him, maybe, is 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 game time. But as long as he gets a relatively decent amount of minutes every season, gradually starts to play more of a part. I genuinely think he's a great asset. I think he's a good player. And considering he's 20, a lot of people forget that. I think it feels like he's about maybe 23 or something. 20 years old is very, very young, especially for a striker. And um, I think, you know, with, with the right developments and the right players around him, as I said, he, he can be what he wants. I think with, with Origi, he's a bit, Origi's a bit more frustrating for me. But Origi's, yeah, Origi's 23. Maybe he's 23. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's, that's a bit different. If Solanke was playing how he is now, in three years' time, then I'd maybe be a bit concerned. Because I think Gariga makes very stupid decisions on the ball. I don't, I don't like his decision-making at all. And when you're playing for a predominantly transition-focused team, you're forced to make quick decisions under pressure. You know, we were talking about forward passing before. You've got to do it in good time. Um, it's got to almost come naturally, naturally to you. So, for me, although he's three years younger, so I think he's above Rigi in the pack and order. I was going to say, it's, it's a good point you mentioning his age. Because, of course, he is only 20. And he, as I said, he's coming to the club with a lot of expectation around him, but also a lot of um, a lot of managers coming out and saying, you know, this is a kid who especially has got it all. As you've said there, he's got the tools to be good. I think my only concern is just whether he's going to get the game time, as you've pointed out there. Um, you've got Bobby Firmino, obviously exceptional, uh, brilliant for Klopp's system. You've then got Daniel Sturridge, who whether he plays as a 10 or plays as a forward, but sort of a false nine in that he, he drops back more. And so it's almost like Liverpool aren't playing with a striker. Um, remains to be seen. But really, you're, you're talking about Solanke and Origi, who are behind Sturridge, behind Firmino. And so Solanke, he's 20 years old. He needs game time. Because as much as we can sit here and say, you know, he's got what it takes. Six years is a long time, of course. Three years is a long time for him to be in uh, Origi's position. But he needs that consistent game time in order to gain that development and to progress, and I just don't see that happening at Liverpool this season consistently enough for him to develop in the way he needs to. Um, so that would be my only question. Um, Joe, I'll ping it, ping it back to you because it's your article, but I completely agree with the premise, but is it not a case of, as we've said here, if he's not getting the game time he needs to develop in the way that he needs to be, does it really matter if there's a 10 involved there? Because we're talking maybe a handful of games he's going to be playing, so yes, a Shakiri or a Sturridge will benefit him. That's undoubtedly true. We've seen that already. Um, but the sample size there is so small that actually it's still going to hinder his development just being third or fourth choice. Yeah, I think for me at the minute, because of Sturridge, Sturridge is in the record, even though he has had a good pre-season. I've, I've said it for two years now. If Sturridge is fit, it's a bonus. And in my opinion, you have to take it that at the end of the day, it's horrible to say, and as a footballer myself, I don't like saying it, but you have to take it. He's going to be injured because ultimately he's shown when, when he's been in the intensity of a, of a Premier League season, he's not, his body's not been able to, able to deal with it. So for me, accounting storage and our striking options, I, I, I probably personally wouldn't do it, which is why I think Solanke could, could get a decent amount of games. And I think, I think we're at a point where, yes, a player's development is important, but we've got to think what's, what's best for the club. And I think if he if he can play a handful of games, for me has obviously come off the back of a World Cup, all right. He didn't play loads of minutes, um, but can he can he can his body deal with the intensity uh, and that amount of game time as he had last season? We don't know. Um, he what he might need to be rested more. And if Klopp finds a way to get the 
best or get a lot more out of Origi and Solanke, then we I think we definitely could see Firmino having a bit more pressure take it taken off him. Um, so I think for now, with Sturridge's past injury record and uncertainty over Firmino um, and how he's gonna how he's gonna start the season after having such a long, hard, intense intense year last year, including the World Cup, then then for me, you you've got to, you've really got to be looking to keep both both Solanke and Origi, um, especially with Origi being able to play, give you an extra option option out wide, so. Certainly for the first six months of the season, I, I, I think you need to keep both of them, simply because I don't think you can rely on storage at this stage. Last season, we didn't rely on storage at all. Um, we didn't rely on Sankey either. Last season, storage and Sankey both started five games. Danny Ings started three in the Premier League. So that's very few minutes. And when you consider that by the time we got to the back end of the Champions League, it was the first team all the time. So for me, I agree with Leanne. I don't think there's much scope. But I don't think there's scope. I, I think there's enough scope for one of them. I don't think there's enough scope for both. Um, I think if we're being honest, we're, we'd be reliant on Sturridge being injured for them to be scoped for one of them, because Sturridge categorically should be second choice now, which means that realistically, Solanke, Solanke's got to be sat here hoping for a Sturridge injury if he's going to get any game time, really, because bear in mind, by the time Christmas rolls around, he's got Brewster sniffing up his neck as well. We don't know how Bruce is going to fit into the equation yet. So I think I don't, I don't see scope for either of them. I think if, I agree with Leanne. I think Solanke needs minutes, which means I would loan him out personally. Um, I think that's the best option for him. In terms of Origi, I think it's a tricky one because the thing is with Origi, he, I, my opinion on Origi is he always ends up getting shafted because whilst Solanke got to stay here last season, you know, occasionally chipping in with the first team, Origi was playing with Wolfsburg, who were absolutely dire, like dire. So, you know, it's it. And that was his choice. I mean, ultimately, he ended up shafting himself on that one, but... You know, even in pre-season, Origi hasn't had that much of an opportunity to play with the better players in the squad. And I think when he has, he just looks low on confidence. For me, that's a big thing. And for me, something like that just indicates that he doesn't really have a future here because we don't seem to want to rally around him, which is fair enough because to an extent he is a player who isn't really in Klopp's picture. And that's mostly through Origi's own decision making. But I do think there is scope for one of them to make a big impact on this team if something does happen to Sturridge, because I think Origi is capable when he plays along better teams to get kind of to the crux of the article, which I think maybe is being overlooked with some tertiary issues or secondary questions. I do think they both benefit from having a number 10 player alongside them. Um, the evidence suggests that if you look at Solanke's two best games for Liverpool last season were the two games where he started alongside Bobby Firmino. There's no two ways about that against Brighton on the final day and against Stoke. When we were bold enough to play both Firmino and Solanke as a two, that's when we got the most out of Solanke, for me. It's the same with Origi. Every time when he's played alongside Daniel Sturridge, he thrives. Um, and I just think I just think it makes sense. If we're going to mix the system up, we might as well mix it up and in a way that allows us to get the best out of players. So if we're going to play, if we're going to rest both Salah and Firmino, why not? switch to 4-4-2, throw Shakiri on the right and then allow Sturridge and Solanke to work together or allow, uh, rest both your wingers, rest both Salah and Mane and then play um, Milner left wing for example or maybe Robertson or Moreno and then allow yourself to play with that two up top or even play a diamond midfield which is another option that's been discussed. So you know we've got options to play two strikers when we are looking to rotate because it then takes the pressure off. Um, I don't think we're necessarily going to play with a number 10 as such um, I don't think that's a thing. That hasn't been the case for a while now. I think Brundage is pretty much bang on, to be honest with you. Um, 
we've had the best number 10 in world football, if, well, one of the best number 10s in world football in our team for the last three years, and we've barely played with him as a number 10. So it would make no sense to sort of use a formation that acts with a number 10 now, especially when we don't have a natural number 10 in our squad. We have a lot of players who can play there. So I think I think playing with a two up top would suit both of them better than it would playing a playing with the ten in that sense. So maybe I don't necessarily agree with the article in terms of a number ten, especially since, as you say, I think if we were looking if we were looking in the market for a number ten, that would be a different thing entirely because I think that would work. As it is, we're not looking for a number ten, and I don't think we have the players in the team to cater for a number ten position. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to the article, um, so. With the number 10, I do think you've made some really, really good points in terms of both Origi and Solanke. They are better when they've got that partner with them, whether that be in a in a number 10 role or literally someone up with them. Um, because as you mentioned, Origi is therefore able to maybe drop off or get himself into the box. Solanke the same, which has been sort of the two negatives of the players because in some ways they drop off. They're so focused on doing that defensive aspect of the striking role that Firmino does so well when they come into it, and Slanky especially, that he's therefore not getting himself in the box where he can score the goals. Um, against Brighton, he loosened up a bit. It was the last game of the season. He played well. He was coming deep. He was getting in the box. He was getting involved, and he looked that bit brighter. So I do I do agree with the premise that a number 10 would help them both. I think it's just devil's advocate that actually we can talk all day about how a number 10 would help them, but Liverpool have not signed a number 10. It does not look like they're going to sign a number 10. And are these two players who are potentially not going to get many minutes because of Firmino, because of Sturridge and because of, you know, the, the way Liverpool play. So we'll move on just briefly to, to Divock Rigi before we look at the overall aspect. Um, Tom pointed out uh, very well that Wolfsburg loan didn't work out for him. He was shafted out wide um, in an unnatural position. So for him, he's kind of stuck starting back where he was a couple of seasons ago. Um, 15-16, very good season for him. Uh, scored in both quarter finals against Borussia Dortmund. 16-17, inconsistent, but again showing flashes of what he can do. And I think that's the point here, um, Joe, isn't it? That he he has shown flashes. Okay, he's not in, he's not consistent, and he doesn't have age on his side. Well, I mean, he's not he's not old. That's not what I'm saying. But he's three years older than than Solanke, who was in the exact same position. And so to go on loan where there's a focus on developing, where there's a focus on getting game time and to be shafted out wide, he's now back to square one. And as you said, he needs that number 10 in order to show what he can really do. So if he's not going to get that at Liverpool because we've not signed an out-and-out number 10, what does he do now? What does the future hold for him? Yeah, I think personally, I think we don't need to sign number 10 uh, for us to be able to play in a way that benefits Origi. The storage will drop deep. Shakiri can play, play on the 10. Um, and you've also got Firmino, so I don't think we need to go out and sign, sign number 10 to get the best out of him. I think he's an extra body, and an extra body who has proven, give it, if you give him a chance to score goals, um, storage, for me, you can't rely on him. Uh, I know Tom says he's second choice. Uh, I think him and Solanke are both second choice, uh, because I don't think either, either of them will play up front on their own too often, um, and, because neither of them shown for a long time, that they're effective in, in a system that plays plays with only one striker. Um, so for me, it'd be crazy to sell, sell Origi. And at the end of the day, for six months, why can't you just presume that Sturridge, passing injury record, has shown that he's not going to stay fit? 
and how how Firmino gonna gonna react if we get an injury to him? Um, so what what do we do? So for me, for six months, it'd be worth keeping a Rigi and and just 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 for a bit of security. We've got no reason to to sell him. We don't need the money. Um, so for me, it'd be, it'd be crazy to sell him. Um, and I'd, I'd I'd say reassess the situation in January. But is he not is he not stagnating on the bench then for six months basically? Because as you say, if Solanke and Sturridge are both going to be second choice, suddenly you're in a situation where you've got because as I say, you know there were thir- there were 13 league starts between those three players last season, and you've now got a factor in Shakiri. So you now, as I say, you're now looking at Shakiri coming in. You're looking at potentially Brewster in the second half of the season. I'd, I'm not sure there's going to be the minutes for them to start. I really don't because here's the crux: Klopp doesn't trust any any of those players anywhere near as much as he trusted trusts Bobby Firmino it's not even close he's going to be wrenching every single minute he can out of Bobby that's going to that is just the reality of the situation now we are not going to Shakiri is the player who is most likely to be the first sub so Shakiri is an option but based on every piece of available evidence Klopp does not trust Sturridge does not trust Solanke does not trust Origi anywhere near enough to give any of them significant minutes ahead of Bobby not even close Solanke was fit and firing for basically the entirety of last season with Sturridge gone for most of it he played Less than 600 minutes in the league. That he's not gonna. None of them are gonna get game time. But I, I don't see what the problem is with having a really stagnate on the bench. Like at the end of the day, we're not we're not a club who's. But for there. his career though, that's the thing. He, yeah, why should why should we be keeping him there on the off chance that once every blue mini might get 20 minutes? It's it's entirely pointless for him. Equally though, equally we saw um, just to play devil's advocate, we saw at Wolfsburg he was. Um, utilised there, he went on loan the expectation was he was going to develop, he was going to get the game time he needed but actually that hasn't happened and, and as we've said, he's come back to the club in the same position he was a couple of years ago so he has stagnated and yet he went away on loan So, so I think loan, into, loan him to a decent club then do you know what I mean, don't loan him to the second worst attacking team in the Bundesliga you know, you can't loan players out if we loaned him out to Stoke last season we'd be complaining because that's the thing, it, that's basically where we loaned him to, somewhere like Stoke. We need to pick a good team to loan him out to, a team that fits the Liverpool system, that plays a decent style of attacking football, or sell him to a, or sell him to a club that actively wants to play him. Look, uh, for example, Valencia. Valencia want him in Spain. That would be a good move for him. It's a chance to start fresh in a country with a decent club, a club that is going to be significantly better than Wolfsburg were last season. I'm not saying that... I, this is my point about Wolfsburg. It's not the fact that we loaned him out. It's the fact that we loaned him out to a club that demonstrably were not good and ha- in an attacking sense were absolutely awful last season and how is that helping him because you stick almost anyone any of our you know you stick Solanke you stick Ings, you even stick someone like Bobby in that Wolfsburg team and they're not going to thrive Bobby will do better than Origi does make no mistake but he's not going to thrive in that side that's the point I'm trying to make okay um, we'll, we'll move on briefly just to it's been uh, touched on a couple of times but Shakiri as the 10 I, I think that's actually quite a good option in terms of we saw him again and Snapley was dropping back. He was floating the balls in behind. He was coming short. Could that be be the lifeline in terms of? I mean, you, you're gonna realistically. We've talked about the numbers here in the minutes, and I will come on to a final question later about which one you would choose to stay with the with the window shutting on Thursday. If one is offloaded, who will it be? Um, but for the time being, discussing both of them, Shakiri. Who does he maybe suit better? Because Origi, for me, my personal point of view, I think he's a little bit more energetic in that he'll come and he'll go, whereas Solanke, positive in that he's a little bit of a plan B, he offers something a little bit different. As we've said, he's got all the traits, but he's maybe not as fast or as fluid. Um, something to discuss. Josh, what's your what's your thoughts on that? I think in terms of Shakiri being um, 
a ten option. I think that that's certainly something I'm in favour of. When he made his first debut for us, I was um, really impressed with his, his off the ball movement, just being able to adjust himself to a space where he can he can receive the ball. And when he did receive the ball in these spaces, his first touch was nine times out of ten good enough to put him in a position where he was able to immediately progress. And um, you know, we've talked a fair bit about you know being able to progress the ball forward and being able to play that di- play directly on the clock. Shakiri, you know, in I think it was about half an hour, demonstrated his ability to do that immediately. Um, as I said, his off the ball movement, his first touch, and then his intent to be able to, you know, feed whoever's running in front of him. He did really impress me. I didn't know he was he was that capable. To be honest, I thought he was more of a. I mean, I, I've never overly watched him, but I thought he was a bit more one dimensional than that. I thought he was more of a a wide man, one v one, just kind of head down, run with the ball. But he's 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 definitely not. And in terms of in terms of the other three options up front, storage. Origi and um, Solanke. I think Storage is becoming a bit... I like the guy. I really like him. And I think most Liverpool fans will, but he's becoming a bit of a a bit of a Rooney kind of problem whereby he's almost staying a little bit too long. And because he's... Because we're attached to him and he's attached to us, we almost feel a responsibility to, to use him when we can. A bit like Everton used Rooney last season when they could, when he didn't really need them, and they had the likes of Sigurdsson maybe slotting in somewhere else and Davy Carson not getting a kick, things like that. I think Sturridge is a bit like that, he, he's just not, he's the polar opposite of a clock player really, apart from his technical ability, he's physically crippled, he's not strong, he can't run anymore, no threat in behind whatsoever, he can't press off the ball, Um, he, he's just not a clock player anymore. And okay, he can finish, and he can provide that maybe bit of quality on the ball if you're receiving like 80% possession against like a low blocker and field or something like that. But in terms of being a second choice, I think there's a large amount of games this season whereby if I'm looking at my bench and I'm taking off someone like Firmino, I would avoid using storage in a lot of games. Say, for example, away from home, maybe, if we need to maintain pressure or something like that, or if we're maybe against, say, for example, City away. I don't think he put in storage on. And for me, storage would not be second choice, apart from, as I said, maybe the odd game, where we're against the low block, purely trying to break them down, we just need a bit of creativity. That's interesting. The... Sorry, that that's actually quite interesting, because you've touched on a secondary point there, that actually, does it depend on the opposition? Um, I, I'm actually in agreement with you, I've always said storage, because of how good his pre-season is. Um, that he probably will be second choice. But you've mentioned that scenario if we're, uh, against Man City. I wouldn't think he'd be coming on. I think it would be someone like Solanke, which is kind of funny because I'm going to point out in a moment that I don't think Solanke should stay at the club or that I don't think Origi should stay at the club. Um, one of them should be loaned out. But that's interesting because they sort of sit sit in different um, scenarios, don't they? Uh, Sturridge is good at certain aspects of the game. Solanke may be better if you're winning you want to grind out the grind out the game hold on to possession and Origi's got that well I mean he's a bit more of a raw talent isn't he he's that bit older but he's not got um a very descriptive part of his game he he comes he goes he goes into the box he floats outside of it um so it's interesting to think of the different scenarios in which they could be used um Joe your your take on that 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I've always said that I, I don't understand why there's this big hype about Sturridge starting starting on, on Sunday. He, he's not played well in a 4-2-3 formation, which is what you'd expect Klopp to play at the weekend. So I don't see why people think he's going to come in and suddenly do well in that formation. Like Josh said, his physical attributes are useless uh, playing up front on, on his own, really, in Klopp's system. Apart from being able to finish and having great technical ability, it's he can't do a lot more. And playing false nine uh, relies on at least relies on a bit of movement and a bit of threat in behind. Because I know as a defender myself, if you've got security of a player uh, who's not going to run in behind, then you can press tight on them. It makes kind of nullifies two two threats and one kind of thing. So I definitely agree agree with what's with what's been said about Sturridge there, and I don't. I, I, I can't understand, although he's had a good preseason, why people are jumping so much on his bandwagon. <laughs> I mean, um, I am. I love Sturridge. Um, I, I think he's a very good player. It's sort of off topic, but I do think he is the the leading uh, understudy to Firmino right now. I'll, I'll pass over to Tom to see his thoughts just on the uh, what we've been discussing, and then I'll ask a final question in terms of uh, the future of all three players. Yeah, there's a lot of studge hate in this group. A lot of studge hate. Um, I love him. I'm flying the flag. Right, for him. Just to clarify, I love him. And if he was, if he had the physical attributes he had in 13, 14, he'd be world class, without a doubt. Yeah, 100%. But do you not get a smile every time he's he's put one in the back of the net in pre-season? Oh, that's that's not, you, that's you, not, you, can't, you can't rely on that, though. You just fall in love with him all over again. It's nostalgia. It's it's what we all want to see. We want to see Sturridge reinvigorated, rejuvenated, um, playing in this new role. You want to see Sturridge and Arugi, you want to see Solanke and Arugi doing well as well. You want to see all our lads doing well because, you know, yeah, they're our lads. Yeah, of course. But there's there's a little bit of, oh, Sturridge has got so injured. He's had such a hard time of it. A lot of people thought this was the summer that he was going to be sold. And now he's he's sort of come back into the frame. OK, it's just pre-season. He could get injured at the first day against West Ham. Typical Sturridge be out for the season or something crazy like that. But. From a nostalgic point of view, it's great to see him doing well. And I think he deserves credit for that. Uh, whereas Origi and Solanke find themselves in a slightly different scenario in that Daniel Sturridge wasn't expected to even be in the equation. Whereas Origi's come back from loan, didn't work out for him. What are we going to do with him? What's he going to do? Uh, what's best for the player? What's best for the club? Solanke, one goal last season. Um, yes, he's got the traits, but he needs that consistent game time. What are we going to do with him? So it, there's a lot of different questions being asked here about lots of different players. I think I think my attitude on I'll, I'll come to Origi and Slanky in a minute. My attitude on Sturridge hasn't massively changed from my initial reaction, which was basically, oh, okay, we're doing this again this summer, are we? Then this is this is going to be the narrative again. Okay, cool. We'll see how that ends up in November, December. I hope it's different this time. But we've we've done this same rodeo every every year for what four years now. And it always ends the same way. And people are just going to get hurt. And I can't let myself think it's going to be different this time. I think long term, you've got to be saying, I don't think there's a place for any of those three players in this squad. Um, if we're being honest, I think, I think, I think we should sell Origi. I think we should sell Origi because I think he deserves to be sold at this stage. I think he's going to be fourth choice and it does him no favour sitting on our bench. I think it's almost cruel to keep him at this stage. I think he has to go somewhere where he can develop. Which means you kind of got to keep Solanke because you can't leave it with Sturridge and Firmino, so you've got to keep Solanke. Um, 
but long term, I I just see Solanke being outmuscled by yeah being outmuscled by Brewster in about eighteen months anyway. So it's difficult to say. Um, but nevertheless, I think Origi has to go for his own sake because I think he's got more. I think he's got potential to be much more than he is with us, and I don't think we're suiting him at the moment. Solanke, I want to see him develop, but, but the truth is we don't know how good he is yet. There's not really any indication that he's ever going to be an out-and-out goal scorer, which is fine. Uh, how well he fits our system, I think, is also up for debate, um, given that he doesn't he struggles in a 4-3-3. And with Sturridge, as I said, we've been doing this dance for four years. Um, if anything changes, great, but I, I don't see it changing on that front either, to be honest with you. Okay, um, just as a final note, Joe, I'll start with you. Um, hypothetical question. Uh, obviously, the window shuts on Thursday. Let's say Klopp offloads one of them. Who do you want as a depth option at, um, off the bench to work alongside someone like Shakiri? Let's say in a domestic cup competition, you've got Shakiri's number 10. Who's your striker? Is it Origi or is it Solanke? If I had to keep one, it would, it would be Solanke simply because I think he's more of an all-round player than Divock. But yeah, like I said, I'd personally keep both because I'm greedy. Uh, and I'd reassess the situation <laughs> in, in six months' time. Josh, how about you? Um, I would have Firmino as my starter. I'd have Solanke as the backup. I'd have Sturridge as the third place striker, but he'd be on the bench over Solanke against teams in which we're expecting to dominate possession against and we'll probably have to break down and add Celerigi. And um, Tom? Um, I would Celerigi for his own sake. I would, I'd keep Sturridge as number two, I'd keep Solanke as number three. That's the way I would do it, but I think with Solanke, I think it's a tough one because I, I do want to loan out Solanke, but equally I'm aware if we loan out Solanke and sell Divi, both of which would benefit both their careers, then we're left short. Yeah, I, I think an interesting point, um, just to round things off, we talked about how maybe both players won't get that many minutes, but actually it's it's kind of easy to forget just how fortunate Liverpool were with injuries last season. Um, Firmino in particular, didn't pick up a, a huge knock. Salah was fit for most of the season. Um, Danny Ings looks like he's he's going to a Crystal Palace, maybe back to Burnley. Um, who knows? So let's say Firmino does pick up an injury this time. Actually, if you did sell one of the two players, you may be a little bit short if Sturridge does get injured. And I think, Josh, that's what you've alluded to, isn't it? Yeah, I think two, two points on the, um, the minute thing. I think the minutes that, say, for example, the second true striker gets basically depends on two things. Number one, how far we go and how good we are in competitions. Because if we end up getting to, you know, let's hope, two domestic finals, we go far in the league and we go far in the Champions League, then that's a hell of a, that, that's a lot of games. That's over 60 games. Um, and number two, depends on how good the player, how good the player is, basically. So, if Solanke just gradually and gradually improves behind the scenes, then Klopp's going to be more inclined to use him. And if Klopp does use him here and there, and he impresses, and he actually makes a difference when he comes on, then he'll be more inclined to use him. And and it continues like that. I think Klopp's most... I think that Klopp... I remember Klopp saying that um, the player that he's, he's so improved the most in his career is Lewandowski. I think he signed from... I think it was Lech Poznan. At the age of about 20 or 21, I think he signed. I think it was 21. I think his first season was a bit useless. And his second season, he just seemed to hit it off out of nowhere. And before you know it, he's a world-class striker. 
And I think if Solanke can maybe just develop himself in the background and be an, an adequate backup to Firmino, then he'll get more minutes. I, I think the reason Firmino got so many minutes last season is because he was just by far and away on a different level to anybody else. Ings, Solanke, and, you know, whoever else was there. So, as I said, it's about how far we go in competitions and how much Solanke can improve himself or storage or whatever in the background. And then, you know, the minutes can be totally different to last season. Joe, any final comments from you before we move to plugs? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think one of my main reasons for keeping um, both of them is is because I, I do want a uh, long run in the League Cup, and I think both of them could be key key to that, um, especially if, if Klopp finds a way to get the get the best out of them. So that's definitely a big reason for me as well. Oh, I'll stick with you. Have you got anything um, to plug? Anything coming out um, in the next couple of days or weeks? Um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll be writing after after the first game of the season on Sunday. So uh, yeah, keep a lookout from a uh, from a take uh, whatever whatever theme I think. I'll choose. Hopefully, hopefully it's a positive one, and we get get a good result and start the season well. And Josh, how about you? Uh, I haven't got anything planned, but um, depending on how the first couple of the games go, I might write some. Um, and if you want to check me later, piece the one I've talked about earlier in the in the podcast, just go on to it. It's it's um, at distance covered, and it should be near the top. Tom, anything from you? You've been quite busy with a um, new podcast on AI Pro, haven't you? I have indeed, Leanne. Um, myself, uh, AR, uh, writers regular Adam Petrucian and the Fantastic K are doing a new pod on Anfield Index Pro called Rate Don't Hate, which is basically post-match player ratings where me and Adam basically will debate, argue, however you want to phrase it, about our player ratings from the matches. It's going to be really exciting to see that kick off as the, uh, season unfolds. I've also got multiple articles out at the moment. I've got one on Mo Salah and whether or not he's going to be able to do better last season than he did this season. And the other one is on Michael Edwards and whether or not he's as important to the club as Jurgen Klopp is. Yeah, definitely check out uh, the podcast if you haven't already. It's very, very good. Uh, very good layout and uh, lots to talk about on there. Very interesting um, debates about, you know, different team player ratings and things like that. Um, from my point of view, um, I've got an article out at the moment, which is kind of similar to the topics we've been discussing today about um, Diva Carigi, Dominic Slanky. One of them, it's time to move on. Uh, you'll have to read the article to find out which one I think should be moved on. Um, I've also got observations out about that game, uh, that 5-0 win uh, against Napoli. Uh, talking up Daniel Sturridge, of course, flying the flag for, for Danny Sturridge. Um, other than that, an article will be out in the coming days about Liverpool's fast start. Oli Emerson did a really good piece sort of on what Liverpool need to do to win the title. So I'll be looking at those opening 10 games and, and how likely a fast start is. Um, other than that, just keep listening to the Writers Podcast. It's a pleasure to have Josh and Joe on today. Um, and we'll see you next week. Podcast Network.